Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with any questions, comments, concerns, or whatever related to plant materials, indoors or out. Alex will be answering the phone, so he just needs your first name and where you're calling from. And Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes. So, how are you doing with through you know all this virus stuff and cre- you know creepy stuff and everything else? So far, okay, good. Just being careful. Yeah. I, I actually went to my first event, a news event yesterday, for the first time since March. Whoa! And uh, there were only a few people there, about a dozen, maybe a few more. We were pretty well spaced out. So, and then of course, cl- washed my hands right afterwards, <laughs> trying to trying to stay safe. So, so far, so good. So spaced out mean mentally or physically? Both. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much so. Ah, great. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm watching, actually, I'm watching the uh, the implosion of the palace at Auburn Hills, which is where the Detroit Pistons used to play, and it just reminded me of kind of how we all feel right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, like a building being imploded and just going down on a cloud. Yeah. Oh, well. Look out. Look out. Yeah. (laughs) How about you? Uh, Not too bad. Yeah? You're you're healthy. Healthy. I don't know. (laughs) That's the problem. We don't know. Exactly. But, yeah, got my mask. Always wear it when I go to the store. And it's interesting because some places you go, everybody's wearing a mask. Right. Some places you go... Hardly anybody's wearing a mask, right, yes. and I, I just don't understand it's it. It's a tough one. It is. I've been converted, you know, onto the mask. Yeah. So. I mean, why not? Ah. So, oh, well, we, we, we trudge along, don't we? Yes. Thank God for gardens. <laughs> that's what I'll say, because that's where Absolutely. I've been spending a lot of time, and and we sat out last evening looking at the garden, watching the birds. The hummingbirds are going crazy, and it, if it wasn't for that... It would be a lot more difficult, for sure. Absolutely. So so thanks for what you do. You're actually (laughs) our mental savior right now. Right. Yes. 
which shows how bad it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a compost pile going bad. It stinks. That, that assumes the compost pile was good to start with. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Great. See you. Saturday mornings, we get together and we have a roundtable discussion about what's going on in that backyard. Why is that downspout area so wet constantly and it hasn't really been raining all that much? Mm, maybe it's low depressed. Uh, mentally, no, dirt doesn't get mental depressions. But anyway, first and side, front and side yards both, specialty garden spaces, taste of the tropics, how those house plants you moved out doing, uh, what's your potting mix that you're using when you're repotting? Do you repot? Should you? No, yes. Why don't you give a call? How to improve your soil, shearing, pruning, things like that. Uh-oh, what's all those bugs, those Japanese beetles? Oh, <sighs> diseases. Using information to make decisions, my thoughts, orchestrations, hopefully will help you solidify your options, of course, with the final judgment being up to you. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player, as I said before, is Alex. He's producing, so he answers the phone. So when you call, just your first name and where you're calling from is all he needs to know. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. Uh, there's my email address and phone number where I can be, be reached. Today, after the show, I'm headed to Webster Groves. Well, let's get moving. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636 861-3344. Under the spreading silver maple tree, I parked. Blue jays call out. Sparrows chatter to each other. Coriopsa smiles in the bright sun. A spreading yew reaches out underneath a trio of Kwanzaa cherry trees. Hosta mingle with variegated and green liriopes. There is also variegated miscanthus. Bindweed offers some white disc floating almost in the air. Purple coneflowers rocket up beneath the sign naming Marty Frumhoff Memorial Park. This is a little bitty park that's wedged in between where Utah and Morganford meet. And uh, sprinkled in this little park, there's going to be some uh, really kind of boulders. I always wonder about the sort of just placement of boulders, but uh, I'm not a boulder kind of guy, I guess. But anyway, there's concrete walkway that cuts through it. There's a pair of benches. There's also some fountain grass. And other b cool plant materials that are getting ready to bloom or just finished blooming. Liatris. There's a fairly young magnolia tree there. And laying on the ground underneath one of the benches, I could tell because the way it was just kind of, let's say, laying on the ground, a cardinal T-shirt. It was forgotten by somebody. So I guess they were there. Maybe it was the person who had been doing some weeding because there were some weeds that had been pulled out and just laid on the walkway to be cleaned up. An Itea, sweet spire, ah, finished flowering. Two street trees, elongated surface roots. Oh, makes it a little tough for some of the plant materials. But uh, everything seems to be doing pretty well. Uh, yellow daylilies and artemisia. Say, come again as I head out to my car and head down to KMOX. So again, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314 Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. 
Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments, we've got some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I always talk about, you know, the heat of the day, playing material, wilting down and everything else, don't necessarily rush out and water just because plants are wilted. Well, in my landscape, I've got uh, some Verona, which are iron weeds, and uh, they were ones that uh, we got for our anniversary and uh, they're just in a window box right now. They were in three-inch pots that were shipped to us. And so they were super wilted. And I have some castor beans from the well, last ballpark where they used to grow castor beans around Stan Musial's statue. So I gathered some seed one time. And so this is the generations left over from that. And my the castor beans were super wilted. They're about four feet high. And, I mean, they look like, oh, my goodness. So this morning on my way out, I take a look at them. They all are all perked up and fine. So that shows you a lot of times you can create more problems than good when you see something wilted by rushing out and thinking it needs water because it doesn't necessarily need water. The wilting down actually kind of closes the pores on the underside of the leaf and reduces the amount of dehydration that's going on. So that's exactly what happens. So even in my yard, it happens too. So let's head over to Ann's yard right now. Hi, Ann. Yes, good morning. Um, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned something about uh, wet soil underneath your faucet outside when it hasn't rained. And I didn't hear what you said because I've been noticing that the last couple of weeks. And well, I was This was like at a base of a downspout. So, so that's oh. what I was talking about. But underneath a faucet, it's probably just dripping as a result of well. that. Hopefully it's not you know, some kind of problem with the water line or anything going to your faucet. I wouldn't think that would be the case. But a, a lot of times the, the humidity, you know, or there could be a, a slight amount of rain in the morning that you don't know about or overnight, and then it comes down the downspout and that spot just stays wet. And if it's slightly depressed over the years of all the water coming, shooting out of the downspout, then water will just sit there and, uh, you know, keep it damp for an exp- extended period of time. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go from Ann's to Mary's. Hi, Mary. Hello. Hi. Hi. Okay, my name is Mary. I live in Belleville, and I have some boxwoods that go across the front of my house that are very overgrown and wildly, and, you know, I kind of don't want to get rid of them, but I'm afraid if I trim them back as much as they need to be trimmed back, I'm going to kill them. So how far can you trim? These are maybe uh, almost five foot high. Mm-hmm. And I would like them to be three foot high. So can I cut off two feet of them down to where they're real stocky, like in the fall? And will they come back? Uh, It's hard to say because basically you're cutting it down to the point where maybe the, the buds that were there historically are no longer active. So in other words, you may cut them and you may, this thing may just look like a whole big pile of, let's say, sticks all kind of glued together. Right. And so what you could do is I wouldn't necessarily cut off, you know, two feet all at once, but in the fall, you know, cut off maybe a foot. And then next year, if you, if you're happy with the way things look, then, you know, cut off another foot. And then if that, uh, you know, if they don't kind of recover because there's no 
laissez leaf buds there anymore that are functional, then you will have to probably take it out. Okay. My other choice was to cut them all down to like a foot or 18 inches so that I just have the ball, the main portion of it. Will that grow back? No. No. Okay. I'm not saying it won't, but generally that is not the case. You cannot severely prune something because you have to realize that there's an equal balance between the amount of above-ground growth and the amount of below-ground growth. So if you eliminate, let's say, the food factory, then that's what the foliage is. Then the root systems are not going to be you know, fed, so they're going to go downhill too. So the whole thing is just going to be sent into a spiral. Okay, so cut about a foot off this fall right? and see what it looks like next year, right? next spring, and then decide if I like them, if I want to keep them or not. Right, and then if you want something that's going to be a little bit smaller that you don't have to prune at all, look at the HETS, H-E-T-Z, HETS Midget Globe Arborvitae. Okay, I'm sorry, spell that again, H-E-T-Z. Right, and then it's midget, just like small midget, okay. and then you want globe, G-L-O-B-E, Arborvitae, A-R-B-O-R-V-I-T-A-E. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Certainly, my pleasure. And now let's go to O'Fallon, and that's where Cheryl lives. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Mike. Uh, My question is, I want to take some daylilies to Florida because when I get down there in January, um, I can't find any. What's the best way for me to do that? Uh, probably when you're, when you're going down in January. Yes. So and I would, right now they're right now they're in the containers that I bought them in from the store. Oh, okay. I just leave them in the containers, and then you know they you know just kind of keep them healthy and wealthy and wise or whatever, and then just uh, you know take them into Florida. Now maybe they aren't available in Florida because do daylilies grow in Florida? Yes. I've okay. seen a few here and there, but I can never find them when I go to the nursery. Right. So, in other words, they're not really a plant that does well there. That's why the nurseries do not carry them. Oh, okay. So, Makes sense. <laughs> so, you can, I mean, go ahead and try it, but uh, just realize if you do that, you may not have, you know, what you're hoping for or looking for. Okay, great. Thank you, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Bye-bye. And we do have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I'll tell you, the weeds have exploded. The one that's in my, let's say, landscape and coming up out of the cracks in the street and stuff is the spurge. And the spurge is is sort of a cousin to uh, the poinsettias. So, in other words, it has milky sap, but it grows like a doily, very flat on the ground and has a single, basically deep taproot. And uh, probably within this, you know, I do a lot of hand weeding just for the sake of it, not using an herbicide. I use herbicides, certainly, but I do hand weeding more because I want to keep my stomach uh, flat or as whatever. But uh, I'll tell you, the amount of spurge this year has been just absolutely unbelievable. Spurge and crabgrass, that's the things that are prominent in my landscape. And a few wild strawberries and, of course, some violets. But uh, anyway, let's head out to St. Charles and go into Mark's yard. Hi, Mark. How are you doing this morning? Good. Hey, I have an ornamental cherry tree I planted about five years ago, and I just let it go to make sure it's established well. And it's a beautiful tree. 
but now I'm needing to trim off some of the lower branches. When's the best time to do that? Basically, wait until the foliage falls off in the fall. So on a, any kind of, you know, tree like that, you're best off to do it in, the, let's say, the off-season. Where if it was a maple, a beech, or a birch tree, then I would say you could do it during the summertime. But with a cherry tree, do it after, you know, when the foliage starts changing colors or dropping. All right. And, yeah, Thank and, you very much. Yes. And when you, do, when you do prune it, make sure that... You're cutting it all the way back. If they're longer branches, cut them off in sections of one-third, and don't leave us like a four- or five-inch stub or anything. You want to cut it back and leave about a quarter- or a half-inch stub to wherever you're cutting it from. Yeah, so so the bark heals over it. Right, over exactly. It. So the cambium layer will create the scab and you know get rid of the open wound area. All right, great. Thanks a lot. Sure. And now let's go to Oakville and into Betty's yard. Hi, Betty. Uh, yes, <clears throat> thank you for your service. I have two questions. Well, I have a foster, I have two foster hollies and I have boxwoods, and I need to know the best time to prune them. Really, the most ideal time to prune is as we're coming out of wintertime, so sometime around Valentine's Day, Early March, you know, early all the way up to early April before the new growth begins. That's a more ideal time because okay. you're cutting it off. You're leaving all the branches in case there's going to be a severe winter. And if there's any kind of winter kill, it's not going to make it look really horrible. But uh, by doing it then, then it's right before the new surge of growth comes. So your pruning is going to be kind of cosmetically, let's say, hidden by the new growth. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to Randy's yard. Hi, Randy. Hi, Mike. Uh, thank you for your service. I'm out in Oakville myself also. Um, I had a humongous tie wall replaced uh, about three weeks ago. They threw down seed and straw, which I haven't watered at all, and it's come up. Um, the, the fill that they put in for when the bobcat and the, you know, Big equipment came in the backyard has two, you know, giant ruts right. uh, between the houses. Um, sod farm I've called and I've called the lawn service to see what the prices were to sod this, and it's a little out of my price range right now. Should I till this up and add some compost and just wait till the fall and try seeding it, or? Uh, and then overseeding this uh, ryegrass or whatever they threw down uh, in the fall to kind of get things going. Um, I'm kind of at my wit's end with two giant dry, uh, you know, tracks between yeah, my trenches. houses and my backyard. Yeah, bait, you got the thought process exactly right. So go ahead, you know, get the area prepared so when we do get to the time of year when you can put some seed down, then go ahead and be, you know, which would be mid to late August, early September. That's when you would be putting seed down. And if you want to have it, you know, because these areas are extreme, you can just you can put seed down. But also just prior to that, just, you know, get some some pieces of sod yourself and just lay the sod over this improved areas so you can get some, you know, aesthetically something there mentally that can help you realize what you're headed for. Because it's going to take a couple years with overseeding in May and every, you know, late August, early September uh, before you're going to have a nice thick lawn in that area. 
Yeah, it, it's thick. My neighbor had this done about five years ago, uh, and he said for about three, four years, that's what he did. Right. Um, the second thing is I haven't done anything to the lawn because I knew it would be torn up, and I have chickweed <laughs> like crazy. Now, I sprayed it with a, uh, you know, a thing you hook up to your hose, right. and it's yellowed, um, but how do you, you just have to pick that out of my lawn? Or just don't worry or, with it. It's dead if it's yellow, so it's going to finally just totally implode, and you won't be able to see it, but where it was, you're probably just going to see sort of bare patches or bare spots. Yeah, could I, like, uh, maybe, I, I planned on thatching the you know, the still good part of my lawn. Is that something that might loosen it up where it can kind of rake it out of there and Uh, then overseed the whole thing? Yeah, probably. I mean, I guess you could. You could just take a regular old leaf rake out there if you wanted to when it's not so extremely hot and just rake the areas because it should pull it up that way too and not have to worry about, you know, doing the whole dethatching with the machine. Okay. I appreciate your service. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. During the break, Alex was talking about Hamilton, a musical that he really has enjoyed, and he's going to... Watch it for a second time. So, anyway, let's head over to Mary's yard right now. Hi, Mary. Oh, hello. Hi. <laughs> I didn't know that was me already. Um, just kind of a silly question, but you were talking about weeding, and I was pulling up weeds last night around the little pond area I have, and I wanted to keep the dirt. So I was shaking off the dirt and pulling off the dirt and putting it back in. But then I thought, what if, I mean, is that just going to produce more weeds if I put that same dirt back in there, or is it okay to to do that? It's okay to do that. The only thing, the only plant that you would not want to do that with necessarily would be if you pulled up, let's say, uh, uh, let's let me think. Hmm. No, you should be you should be okay regardless of what kind of plants you want to do with that with. Okay. All right. Well, that's good to know. I mean, I shake the dirt off myself because, you know, if you don't, you can leave, you know, you're going to leave a small hole and that just kind right. of creates, you know, somewhat of a nightmare. But if you're right. uh, probably if nutgrass or nutsedge, if you're pulling that up, uh, I would not necessarily knock the dirt off that. A lot of times you don't pull up any dirt when you pull up the nutgrass anyway, but just in case, because there could be some seeds in that dirt that you're knocking back down on the ground. And that's a problem with the nutgrass just in general. It produces seeds on the roots and then seeds above the ground as well. Ah, okay. All right. Well, that answers my question. Thank you. Great. And now let's go to Maxine's yard. Hi, Maxine. Hi, Mike. Hi. Yes, I have a pink magnolia (coughs) tree in the front yard, and I noticed it has a white scale. (coughs) Pardon me. Uh, It's very sticky. Can you tell me what I can do to save that tree? Uh, probably. Uh, so are you sure scale is not aphids? Uh, well, it's a white, sticky scale. Uh, I, well, I don't know about aphids and what they are, but I'm worried about losing the tree. Yeah, it's generally it won't, you know, it won't kill. But the stickiness is usually from an insect of some sort, you know, and a lot of times it's not scale, but aphids are on the underside of the leaf. 
So if you have access to the Internet, just go and look at that. Now, the scale, so you're seeing little white lumps on the leaves, or you're seeing it on the stems? On the stem so, and the trunk. Yeah, so big. You know, a lot of times scale is not going to be that dramatic and that much because if you haven't noticed it before, so it may be it may be that. But what you can do is just go to your favorite garden center and get a summer weight horticultural oil, and then just spray it on the areas where you're you're seeing the scale. Would you tell me that again? Summer weight horticultural horticultural oil oil. So in, in the winter time, if it was if it was winter, I'd say use dormant oil. But it's too hot this time of year to use a horticultural oil or to use a dormant oil. So you have to use the horticultural oil. But also read the label first before you do the spraying. It shouldn't impact anything. But just in case, if it, let's say that particular day it was extremely hot, they say above a certain temperature, don't apply this even to the woody part of the plant material, let alone the foliage. So are your leaves sticky at all? Uh, yes, somewhat. Yeah, so the scale's probably, if it's that prolific throughout the entire plant, so my guess is it's probably uh, going to be aphids, and it could be the scale as well. Now, will I be able to see the aphids on the leaves? Oh, yeah, the aphids are there. They might be like a sixteenth of an inch, but look on the underside of the leaf, and the best time to check, too, is also... You know, check in the morning or later in the day, but always check the underside of the leaf. And there, oh, there's like several different, there's, you know, cottony aphids, there's all kinds of different green ones, and this color, dark green or dark brownish aphids. There's lots of aphids. They have a proboscis, like a nose, that they stick into the, the foliage of the plant. And then when they pull their nose out after they've sucked some sap out of the leaf, then yeah, that leaves a little looks sticky like drop. draining out of the tree. Pardon me? It looks like I have some sap running uh, down the tree. Yeah, that's not going to be from any kind of insect. Ooh, what would that be? That could just be the actual, you know, just something naturally occurring. So, in other words, the the diameter of the trunk's increasing, and then sort of the bark splits open and opens up a little because the veins of the tree are right below the bark and opens up a little bit of the, the say, the vein, and then that's where the sap is oozing out of. Okay. Well, Mike, I'll go right out there and see if I can spot those aphids. Right. Check it out, and, I mean, they're... They're prolific. I mean, there's lots of them. If you have them, a few of them are not going to make that much difference. What would cause that? Aphids are just bugs. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we got plenty of bugs everywhere. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Good luck. God Certainly. bless. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Bill's yard. Hi, Bill. Yeah, Mike, I'm concerned a little bit in my blackberry which are Jim and Jan's. Uh, some of them, the berries get uh, like maybe the end of my uh, fingernail, and then all of a sudden they start turning yellow, and the leaves start turning yellow, and they die. Just starting. So what you're do you talking, think that is? So you're talking about the canes. Yeah, the cane itself, yeah. And is it, is this the older canes, the bigger ones, or the, the wider ones at the base? No, these are towards the top. Oh, so, but, I mean, as far as the cane going into the ground, is this... Oh, yeah. You, 
if it's an older one, then it is, this is just it's too old, and you should have been cutting them out anyway. This, you know. Okay. So just get, you know, any of them that starts showing that kind of symptom, cut it off basically at ground level. Okay. And that's really all you need to do. So in other words, you're going to, you're reviving the, you know, the colony. Okay. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And Mike Miller, KM Morris Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go, and we're headed to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Good. Hey, I have uh, a lot of different kinds of ground cover in my yard, liriope, ajuga, uh, periwinkle. Um, I've fertilized it a couple times in the spring. Should I be fertilizing it now? No, not in the summertime. Okay. Okay. Definitely not. Uh, Okay, when do I do it again? Next spring? Well, you can do it in the spring. If you want to do one application in, let's say, early September, around Labor Day, you could do that if you wanted to, not necessary. But you you really want to fertilize it when the active growth starts, and that's going to be in the spring. Okay, that's all I needed to know. Thank you very much. Yep, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Tom's yard. Hi, Tom. Yeah, Mike, I have some daylilies that they're not flowering anymore. And the the long stems, can I cut them back? You mean as far as the foliage goes? Yeah. Uh, You could, but I would leave it, you know, if they're still standing up and rigid and, you know, or have rigidity to them, I'd leave them alone and just cut them back in the fall. Do them turn like brown? Are Uh, those dead? Yeah, yeah, they're dysfunctional, so they're not really helping the overall health of the plant. Also, maybe when fall rolls around, uh, dig them up, try to divide them, and see if that can stimulate it. But it may be just the fact that this particular variety, at whatever age it happens to be, is no longer going to be producing any flowers. Now, are they still in the full sun? And every, I'm assuming they flowered at one time. Yes. And are they still in the full sun location and all that other stuff? Yes, they are. So it sounds like maybe they're just kind of at the end of their, let's say, life as far as producing anything aesthetic like flowers. Wow. Okay, I'll try digging them up and splitting them. Yeah, and just you know, see what happens as a result of that. And when you put them back in the ground, make sure you mix in some compost with the soil just to give them a little bit of a, to feed the soil, and that will help feed the daylilies. Okay, thank you. Yep, and let's stay with Tom, only a different Tom. And Tom, how are you today? Good morning. Hi. Um, I've been fighting Bermuda grass um, for years, trying to keep it out of my zoysia, and the yard's coming from uh, west of me. Uh, and I've reached the point where I'm just going to give up. Is there any way I can make this thing look like a, a decent lawn? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, basically, golf courses use Bermuda grass, so. But I would say, you know, go online and take it, you know, take a look at it that way. But if you've been battling it, why not just, you know, stop looking and sort of diagnosing Zoysia versus Bermuda. Just let them go and battle it out together and just be happy with whatever happens. Okay. So if I start to fertilize that in the fall like a, like a, a lawn, you think it'll thicken up some? Or? No. Basically, a warm season grass like Bermuda or Zoysia, you feed in the summertime. 
on the summer. Okay, now. So, okay, in other words, great. you feed it the first application around Memorial Day, then you do another one in June, another one in July, and another one in oh. August. So, all warm um, season grasses fed in the summer. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much. Sure. And Bye-bye. now let's head from Tom's yard over to Larry's. Hi, Larry. Hello, Mike. Hi. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, I have a question regarding purple coneflowers. Uh, these are fairly new uh, plants, and they've been in the ground roughly about uh, six weeks. They are flowering, but they don't seem to be growing. Do you recommend cutting off the flowers the first year or not? Yeah, generally, I don't, you know, anything is, you know, any plant, tree, shrub, herbaceous perennial or anything other than annuals, flowering really stresses the plant out just in general. So you could go ahead and cut the flowers off and, uh, you know, just kind of enjoy the foliage, which is not great foliage, but it's not bad foliage. And just, you know, cut right, base, you know, right below where the flower is and just leave it okay. alone. Okay, Mike. Thank you very much. I appreciate your advice. Sure. And uh, the cone flowers, I mean, it's amazing how you know, those, those seed heads will drop lots of seed and you're going to end up with a whole colony. Their purple cone flowers is one of my favorites as far as aggressively aesthetic. Let's head over to Mary's yard now. Hello. Hi. Yes, we had a redbud tree, probably a two-year-old, that was transplanted on Tuesday. And uh, they told us the shock of it would make the leaves curl up, which they have. Um, is there a chance that that's going to make it? It doesn't look very good. We're watering it every day, but it uh, looks pretty wilted. Yeah, don't water it. Don't water it every day. How long ago was it transplanted? Tuesday. So Tuesday. For the next you know, few days, for the first week or so, you could water every day. After that, i just leave it alone. And why would they transplant at this time of year? Well, we just said to them, do you think you can transplant it now? And they said yes. <laughs> Not the ideal time to do it. So, okay. But anyway. Spring or fall? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Thanks so much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to Lynn's yard. And that's, she lives, or he lives in South or City, St. Louis Hills. <laughs> Hi, Lynn. Uh, good morning. Um, I had a question. <clears throat> I have both some irises and some daylilies that we bought from the clubs at the botanical garden. Mm-hmm. They're lovely, but I put them in the wrong place. Ooh. It's, it's very crowded. And so I need to move them. Can you just give me some pointers on when to move them, how to get them out of the ground? They're only, they've only been in there a year, how to get them out of the ground and trans and uh, transfer them to the right place. Well, well, basically, you want to do it in September. That would be the ideal time. Get the area that you're moving them to. Prepare that soil now. So you add the compost and everything to the soil to get the new location all set up. And then since they've been in the ground such a short period of time, they're going to be easy just almost to scoop it up. And you're probably almost going to get the same size plant that's what you you know, put in the ground a year ago. Okay, great. And Thank you. That sounds easy. Yeah, it's not really all that difficult. Now, if they've been in the ground you know, longer than, uh, let's say, a year or so, it could be a little bit tougher. But then when you move them, just make sure you keep them well watered. You don't have to water them every day or anything else. And the nice thing about fall is basically the ground is warm. That sort of encourages root system growth, and then the plants get to go to sleep for the wintertime. All right. Thank you, Mike. Sure. My pleasure. And I don't think we're going to be able to try to squeeze somebody in 
So uh, rather than trying to do that, it's always like uh, I feel. <laughs> so Carla and Robert, if you hang on, you'll be the first callers that we take at the, after the news at the top of the hour. But other weeds this time of year that you could be seeing besides the spurge that I talked about, ragweed, oh, giant ragweed and sort of regular ragweed, purslane, knotweed, lamb's quarters, black medic, carpet weed, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass, foxtail, violets. Those are the ones that just are haunting. I mean, they're basically annuals. So those are the ones that if you do put a pre-emergent down in the springtime when the forsythia is in bloom, these are the ones that help or the pre-emergent helps kill as the seeds germinate. But then remember, there's two different kinds of cool season and, and warm season annual weeds. So when August rolls around, if you're not going to be putting any kind of, let's say, grass seed down, you can put a pre-emergent down in your bed spaces and things like that to control the cool season annual weeds. But the weeds are just, this year probably have been prolific as far as my thinking goes. It's just like been amazing because I think of our winter and the spring was so wet and everything else, it just kind of made an ideal environment for the weeds. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And we'll see you after the news. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour, which I'll be giving shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Mr. Kelly, before you slip out, I see you looking out the window there. I'm looking because it looks nice out. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Pretty blue sky. <laughs> Very. Yes. But uh, you have a screen porch, right? Yes. Now, obviously, it's not air conditioned. No. So what do you, you have fans we in We have there? a fan. We have a fan in there. Just one fan? Yeah. And even last evening, it was pretty nice, yeah. Really? You know, it, I was telling Sue, it reminds me of like going to the Muni, because we'll have a really hot day, and you'll think, boy, I don't know, it might be too hot to go to the Muni. Right. By the time you get there, it's really very nice. Right. And that's yeah. how it's been, you know, pretty much this whole spring and summer for us. I don't, you know, I mean, it's it, almost every evening has been nice enough to sit outside. Wow, sounds so, perfect. Yeah, so yeah, we keep the... Because it can be hotter on the screened-in ports because it doesn't get the breeze you right. do out. And you know, I'm going to knock on wood here, the mosquitoes haven't been around. For And I, you know, they're probably hearing me. Okay, let's go get them. <laughs> right. But really? uh, it's been really nice sitting out, sitting outside. Well, that's great. Yeah. Have you been able to do that much? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. It's just... Uh, you know, humidity, that's, yeah. you know, and if you don't have a fan, so, which we don't have a screen porch where we can put a fan in. So, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. You have to get one. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Highly recommended. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks. And folks, thanks to you for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, ups and downs and all arounds for annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember, my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's producing, and uh, he's the one who answers the phone as well as pushes all the buttons to keep the show going. So all he needs is your first name and where you're calling from. 
During the week and on weekends, I do landscape consulting, which I call walk and talk. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com homepage, where you can find my email address and phone number and contact me. Today after the show, I'm headed to Webster Groves. A tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I take two walks a day. I walk early in the morning, and then after lunch, I take another walk. And I'll tell you, through our neighborhood, there is some really wonderful landscapes, some really good concepts. I mean, there's, and the crepe myrtles are starting to explode with color. So it is really just so nice to walk around. But one of my favorite places, two places that I enjoy going by, one is Lucy's. Lucy is a dog. And, you know, I just, it's Lucy's house, but she grows some great tomatoes. Actually, her father does. But anyway, enough of that. But Lucy's yard is always very fun to go by. <laughs> she looks at me and is, she stares at me for a few seconds and starts. Burp, 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 burp. She barks at me. So I think she doesn't like my curly hair is what it is. But another place that's very good, Lucy's Yard is on Federer and another house closer to Morgan Ford on Federer, actually at the corner of Morgan Ford and Federer, is the Canna Banana. I used to call it farm, but now it is the estate, Canna Banana Estate. The banana trees, the elephant ears, the cannas, and they've done some great improvement just to their Landscape just in general, their hardscapes and everything else. So the tip of the trial goes out to the Canana, the Canna Banana Estate and then Lucy's Tomato Garden. So they get the tip of the trial today. And everybody, this like I say, through the neighborhood, there are some people that do some fantastic things. And it's just so nice to just kind of walk by and see what's going on in somebody else's yard. That's the most fun you know, that's even when it's super hot and everything else, you kind of forget how hot it is, just like Brian talking about on their screen porch. You When you see some really nice plantings, and I'm not saying elaborate, you don't need something that looks like the botanical garden or anything else. It's just that some people do some very nice, let's say, very nice jobs or very nice work with the plant material they have. So let's get a phone call or two in before we uh, take a break. Let's go to Carla's yard. Hi, Carla. Well, hey, Mike, how are you this morning? Very good. Yeah, I've got a question for you about a, some blueberry plants that I put in early this spring. And they're kind of turning, um, the leaves are turning kind of a yellow color. Uh, some of them are producing new growth, but it's not a not a dark green or even a light green. They're kind of yellow. Um, I heard from another call, don't add fertilizer this time of year. Right. Uh, what can I do to keep them going until I can add some fertilizer to it? Basically, you're not going to want to fertilize going into wintertime, first of all. so. But did you, I, did you add iron and sulfur to the ground before you planted them? I added compost, but not those two items. Yeah, that's basically blueberry really need a very acidic soil. A compost is good. That helps feed the soil. But what the iron sulfur or iron sulfate or ferrous sulfate, which is all basically the same stuff, that is what keeps the foliage looking, let's say, darker green. Okay. Is that something that's water-soluble Yeah, that I can... You can go to your favorite garden center and get some, sprinkle it around the base of the plants, and then water it in. Okay, so I can do that now without 
enticing, you know, growth, they'll just turn green. Exactly. And it might not have happen automatic, and it may not happen, you know, to this series of leaves that are on there right now. So just realize yeah. that. But you're, you're just kind of anticipating for the future and trying to help the plant, the blueberry plants, you know, in times to come. Yeah. So I uh, can you say that one more time? Iron sulfate. Iron sulfate. Okay. I will go to the store and get some of that and give them a drink later on. Great. Sounds perfect. All right. Thank you. Sure. And now let's go over to Robert Shard. Hi, Robert. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, I was going to ask you about just topping off um, an Althea, you know, because the, the, the new growth this year has gotten so long and there's, it's inundated with buds. And I was wondering if it was going to uh, maybe topple over or be too too heavy once the buds come out, but the hooved rats, a.k.a. the deer, <laughs> answered that question for me last night. <laughs> uh, but uh, your perspective on maybe um, giving those a little top off or, or not. They didn't take all of them, but they took the majority of them. Yeah, but, it, I mean, if you cut the, you know, rows of Sharon off, let's say the top, that's where all the flowers are going to be for the most yeah. part. So then you're eliminating the potential for flower, and that's why you're growing them. So aesthetically, yeah. you know, you're going to ruin that. And pruning, again, I just don't like to, you know, do a whole lot of pruning on anything, yeah. you know, and unfortunately the deer don't care about the weather or anything else in the summertime. But uh, so I would say in the future, just kind of keep them, sort of anticipate, cut them back, you know, as we before the new growth begins in the springtime. And that way you you know, prevent this extremely elongated growth. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, and, and again, I wasn't really going to cut back. I was just going to top them an inch or so. But yeah, uh, yeah they, were, they were chewed several inches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Night. Even so, an inch or so, you're cutting off the flower buds. Yeah. Well, there, there's a there's a, there's a just an abundance of buds this year. Oh, good. I was just a little a little concerned that the the new growth, like I said, was going to just heave over. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. They're pretty tough. I mean, they, you know, even when the flowers open up and everything else, they may be somewhat healthy or heavy and cause a little bit of bending, but I wouldn't worry too much about it overall. So if you're going to, you know, cutting off one or two inches, I don't think it's going to make that much difference. Okay. Thanks very much. Sure. Mike Miller, KM Weiss Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You know, we're having these pop-up storms lately, and, I mean, we're, it can you know be warm and humid and everything else, and then all of a sudden you, you can feel a cool breeze coming. You can look up and start to see the sky is darkened, and then it will pour, I mean, literally, Huge amounts, vertical drops coming down for about 20 or 30 minutes. That water is kind of like what I tell people. Do not put on your irrigation system for only 15, 20, or 20 minutes, you know, because it just evaporates. So the other day when it rained, you know, I was outside and working in the yard. And I thought, okay, let's see if I know what I'm talking about. And so consequently, I in my pots... And in the ground, I started digging down. So about the top quarter to a half inch was moist as a result of that half hour of really a downpour. But then right below that, that's 
it was dry. So just, just don't assume that a pop-up storm that's only going to rain for a half hour is going to do any good for your plant material root systems whatsoever, whether it's in containers or in the ground. So let's head over to Christy's yard. Hi, Christy. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have a problem with my flowering vincas. The top two to three inches on some of them, not all of them, but it'll just like it'll fall over. It'll keel over just the top two, two or three inches. They're green. They have flowers on them. And then eventually within a day, day or two, it will turn brown and die. And then the whole plant will die. Right. It sounds what like, is happening? Uh, basically too much water. Too much water? Yes. So in other words, the soil, the potting mix or whatever you're growing them in is too moist and that's causing the root system to implode and that's causing the plant to implode. Hmm. Okay, well, they're out outside in the ground, right? And I only water them every couple of days. Well, that's you know, the drainage in that particular situation is not adequate. So even watering every couple of days is too much water. They generally, okay. you know, they have the glossy leaf. They're really nice. They're very tough. They're very durable. But they don't want to be, you know, kept too moist. And when you planted them, hopefully you planted them a little bit higher than the surrounding ground. Yes, I did. Okay, that's perfect. So you've done everything right. It's just the the soil that they're growing in is holding too much of the moisture. Okay, yeah, because on the top they look so dry. Right. Like I didn't water them yesterday, and today the, the ground was very, very dry, so I watered them, but evidently too much. Right, exactly. Okay, very good. Thank you. Sure. Okay. And, yeah, I mean, those are great annuals, but, uh, yeah, the, I mean, some of the annuals are real touchy, and we kind of cluster things together. Oh, these are, you know, begonias or these are this or periwinkles or, you know, whatever it happens to be. And marigolds, and they don't all take the same kind of care. That's the unfortunate thing. Right. Well, I've planted these same uh, type of flowers every year because the deer don't like them. Right. And I've never had this problem. It started last year. I had a few, and now this year. So, anyway, I'll try to cut back on the water then. Yeah. Give that a shot. Okay, thank you. Yep, and now let's go over to Brenda's yard. Hi, Brenda. Hi, thank you for taking my call, Mike. Sure. Um, my question's about my vegetable garden. My green bean leaves started losing color, and then they they start started disintegrating. And, and then also I saw that on the bottom of my tomato leaves, but they seem to have popped out of it. And now my eggplant leaves are starting to show the same um, you know, spots of uh, discoloration. It didn't uh, affect my Swiss chard or sweet potatoes or any of my peppers, but now I'm starting to see it on my eggplant. Yeah, again, it's, you know, eggplant and tomatoes are basically, you know, kind of co- close cousins to each other. So consi- consistency as far as, you know, keeping the soil moist is probably going to be the problem. Not too moist, but just damp enough to keep them healthy. Okay, so you think it's weather related, or just yes, not not a bug or no, 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 it's not a bug. Bugs are not going to turn the the plant or the foliage yellowish like that. And you are fertilizing, I'm assuming. Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're doing that. So you're doing everything right. So I think it's it's basically heat, you know, soil moisture, and everything else related more so than anything. Okay. Thank you. Sure. And now let's go to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hello. Hi. Yeah. Um, thanks for taking my call. I um, t- 
just bought some cone flowers this year, and they looked real healthy. They had lots of flowers on them already, and it's a different variety. I think it's called powwow. So the the petals don't, you know, lean down as much. They're mm-hmm. more like vertical. Right. And anyway, I just want to know what is the best. What are the best conditions for cone flowers? I've planted them before. They got overrun by weeds, so now I've got them on the south slope of my house. They get a lot of sun. And I have watered them pretty much since I put them in um, just to make sure, you know, they're getting enough water because they get a lot of sun. It gets pretty dry over there where they are. And I just wondered what conditions do they need, really, to make them thrive? They want to be in full sun all day long every day. I have a coneflower colony, and it's between my garage and the alley. It's a bed space that's probably like maybe four feet wide and maybe, you know, 12 or 15 feet long. And I don't, I rarely, I do some additional watering. Now they, th- these actually, I didn't plant these. They actually, the seeds got blown in from some coneflowers further down the alley and just started germinating in this spot. And now the whole bed space is, you know, and it's been multiple years for it to get filled like that. But uh, so consequently, full sun all day long. Now I do fertilize them in the springtime when the foliage starts, you know, getting full size and they start sending up the flower stalks and that's the only time i even fertilize oh okay what do you use for fertilizer i just use pretty much i like liquifeed type things so in other words it has a bottle that you screw into a hose in attachment so that's what i use oh okay um okay and i heard you tell someone else to cut off the dead the flowers to deadhead them right but you okay, so you want to do that as soon as the flowers have been on there for a little while so you can enjoy them, you just cut them off? Yeah, I basically, I don't even do that. I don't do that until the end of the season because the finches love those seeds. Oh, okay. So, okay. And also then when those seeds, the seeds that I say the finches don't get to uh, drop to the ground, then they germinate really pretty quickly. It's kind of amazing. Wow. Okay. Well, they've got lots of room to grow, and I've got two of them. I was going to, I planted one. I still have to plant the other one. I was going to space it about um, 18 inches from the other one. Yeah, that might even, you know, that's fine. Okay. And don't water them too much, then. Yeah, definitely don't overwater. Okay, because the leaves were getting a little droopy, and I didn't know if it was, it's probably heat stress, too, because, I mean, it's really hot, and they're in a full sun location, which I thought is what they needed so yeah and and just regular soil my soil is pretty much clay and i amended a little bit with potting soil well that will help some but anyway again if the plants are wilting in the heat of the day don't worry about watering go out and check them in the morning that's when you can see if they're wilted in the morning they definitely need some water okay all right sounds good so and then don't fertilize them this year probably i should do that next spring yeah exactly I'm sure they came out of the greenhouses full of fertilizer. Yeah. <laughs> and steroids and who knows what. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, thanks for your help. Sure. All right. Thank you. Bye. Mike Miller, KMWash Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. 
Folks, we got some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. How about your uh, summer bulbs? How are they doing? Caladiums? I haven't seen too many caladiums really looking all that well, so I don't know exactly what happened or if nobody's planting them in my neighborhood. I'm not growing any caladiums myself underneath the shade of, you know, the areas that I have shaded. I have perennials. I have hostas and Japanese painted ferns and uh, coral bells. Those type things in the shade. But uh, my cannas really look good. I've got about four or five different varieties of cannas. And uh, the basic difference is the size, the height they're going to get, and what kind of streaks and stripes and colors they have on the foliage. My elephant ears really look good. And the thing about the, you know, the summer bulbs is when you first put them in, you know, they've pretty much surged kind of with that growth. But then after about, uh, Six or eight weeks or so, two or three generations of leaves have started to emerge. And then the other ones, you know, have turned, the original ones have turned yellow. So aesthetically, you just have to keep cutting those off. Let's go back to the phones and let's head over to Larry's yard. Hi, Larry. Hello, Larry. Hello. How are you doing, Mike? Good. Hey, I have a a red bud tree. And it had the ash borer beetles on it. And uh, I I went to my nursery, and they told me to spray it with seven. And I did that, and they gave me the systemic group. And my question is, is a lot of the leaves on them are all brown now, like it's dying. But there's still green growth growing. Will the tree come back? I should, but uh, that's not a good sign. I'm surprised they would give you some seven. You said they gave you seven to spray? Uh, Not to spray. They're just a a systemic pour around the base of the tree. Okay, yeah. So basically for any kind of borers, a spray is not going to do a darn thing. So it has to be taken up through the the root system and then up, you know, and then kill the borers from the interior as opposed to anything else. So they gave you the best information. But recovery-wise, it's a little bit tough to know if it's going to. I don't know. How old is it? Tree's about 10, 12 years old. So it's still pretty young in essence. I mean, you should have at least 25 years of good production out of, of redbud trees. And so just uh, that's about maybe during the winter time, do something that uh, I call deep root feeding, where you auger holes around the tree and backfill those holes with compost to help feed the soil, and then the soil will help feed the tree just in general. So that's all about right. so all they, you're going to be they, able to. They suggested, you know, to uh, fertilize, you know, around the outside perimeter of the tree in the fall. Well, but uh, do I need to do like any extra watering or something to no, help no, feed no. the tree? Red bud trees do not like a lot of water. They don't want additional watering. That has nothing to do with its overall health. All right, cool. So even though I still have green leaves on the branches and stuff, you know, they're sporadic, but that still means it's still growing. Right, it's still viable. It's still alive. You know, how much alive, you won't know until next year when, you know, let's say the, the flower starts emerging. All right. Well, that was my question. I appreciate your help. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's you have a wonderful day. You do the very same thing. And now let's go over to Steve's yard. Hi, Steve. Oh, hello, Mike. Hi. Um, quick question. I've got a Japanese maple in the front yard. 
Uh, if I stand under it and look up, the leaves at the very top have what I would describe as pinholes in them. The rest of the leaves on the bottom of the tree do not have that. Um, is it being eaten by something? Uh, it's just unusual that you see the sky through <laughs> little pinholes in the top of the leaves at top. Yeah, it could have been some insect problems earlier on in the season. But as long as they haven't sort of like skeletized the whole thing, so in other words, eaten all the, the parts of the leaf in between the veins, then you should be fine. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. And if you're a little bit worried about it, what you can do is just take a hose out and just, you know, put a nozzle on your hose and just shoot it up there. And if there's anything there insect-wise, you'll just knock it off physically. Hey, appreciate it. Thanks. Yep. And now let's go. To, where should we head? Let's go to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Hey, how you doing, Mike? Hi. Hey, I got a ditch I don't want to mow, and I was thinking about a ground cover. Um, it's about, oh, four feet wide and 15 feet long, and I don't want the ground cover too high, just something that up where I, you know, it looks decent and I don't got to mow it. What would you suggest? Uh, is it sun or shade? Sun, full sun, and I, mean, I want something that's ready, easily to get, readily available. I would say probably look at the Liriope, L-I-R. I-O-P-E, and get the spicata variety, or spicata as a species, S-P-I-C-A-T-A. So in other words, it's monkey grass that spreads, and uh, I just use that. Okay, say it again. Monkey grass, but then liriope, L-I-R-I-O-P-E, that's the genus, and then the species is spicata, S-P-I-C-A-T-A. And what time of year do you plant that? Uh, you're not, you're not going to want to plant it in the heat of the summertime. It's just too stressful for the plant material. So uh, basically, uh, if you can get it in the fall, you can put it in then. In the spring, you can definitely get it then. But make sure you get the spicata species and not the other one, because the spicata spreads as a, you know and creates a solid mat. The other one is just a, its cousin. is just a clump grower, and so the clump will get bigger, but it won't infill the space. Okay, thanks. And let's see, where should we go now? How about uh, to Nancy's yard? Hi, Nancy. <clears throat> yes, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Mike. <clears throat> I have had some uh, grading done in my backyard, and now I have grass seed there with straw on top of it, and I'm watering it. But how 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 long should um, I water it each time and then for the... And how long should I keep on doing it? Now, basically, has the seed started germinating? No, it. it, it I just. Um, it was just sowed last uh, Tuesday. Okay, so just I mean, water daily. You know, for you're basically only gonna. You don't have to water deeply because it doesn't have any root system. So you're just trying to water to trigger the germination of the seed. So maybe fifteen or twenty minutes. You know, maybe twice a day at the most. And then when the seed starts germinating, you start to see the blades coming up. Did they tell you what kind of grass? Is this just like an annual rye grass? They, they didn't say what kind it is. Oh, because if it's and an I an, didn't ask. Yeah, if it's an annual <laughs> rye grass, it's only going to, they just put it there or, brought, you know, threw it in there or whatever, spread it, you know, for one season's growth. So hopefully that's not what they did. But just plan on in September getting some more seed and, you know, with some seed starter fertilizer. And okay, and how how long should I keep on uh, doing this? As far watering as it? the watering and the, the seed they just put down, 
Probably yes. un- until the the grass blades. Do it daily for probably around two weeks. For two weeks. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't think that it's um, uh, just that grass that you talked about. Okay. I think it's better better grass than that, but I'm not sure. But it's still going to be very sparse. There's no getting around it. Okay. I'm sure because it's hot. Right. Hot okay. and it's just difficult to grow, you know, a, a dense, thick lawn from seed without doing, you know, putting seed down twice a year for several years, actually. Mm-hmm. So in September, I should probably uh, overseed it. Exactly. And put a seed starter type fertilizer down. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for the advice. Sure. My pleasure. Bye. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller, KM West Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we're headed into Kirkwood and going to Marsha's yard. Hi, Marsha. Hi, two questions. How late in the season can I lay down um, zoysia sat? Uh, basically, as long as you, you know, if you get this area prepared, the soil prepared before you lay it down, as long as it's still available. It's just, you know, the hotter it is, it's going to take a little bit more watering. But uh, as long as they're still cutting it and selling it at the garden centers, you can put it down. And second question, um, in the areas of my yard that have the cool season grasses, I need to put down both the weed preventer, and sow seeds. So what order do I do that, and how far apart do I do that? Uh, the weed preventer, you definitely don't want to put it down. You know, I would say get the way. Do you have a major weed problem? Um, well, like you were saying, this year they they were more pro, pro, um, prolific. Right, with all the rain. Right. So I would say go ahead and get your – I mean, you can get to – as long as it's not too hot – I would start controlling the weeds now if you're going to be using an herbicide. And then wait till September and then put the seed down at that time. And don't put any herbicide down after you've put the seed down. So do the seed in September and and work on the weeds in August. Right, exactly. Okay. All right, thank you. Yeah, that's because even if it's a broadleaf weed killer, it can impact newly germinated seeds. So that's why I'm saying kind of keep them apart. All right. All right. Thanks. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's stay in Kirkwood and go over to Phyllis's yard. Hi, Phyllis. Hi. Um, I've got a hackberry tree that about a quarter of the limbs did not come out like the other part parts of the tree. They're very sparse. That's could not, it have something to do with the winter? Uh, could have. You know, I, I mean, a lot of the trees this early spring had an anthracnose problem, sycamores and everything else. But it sounds like you didn't, none of these even pushed out any kind of buds. It's just they were <laughs> just sparse in general. Uh, only on a quarter of the, of the limbs. This is a, a over 50-year, 60-year-old tree. Well, I that's probably, it's probably age as much as anything, so there's really not too much you're going to do that's going to make any difference whatsoever. Okay, thank you. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I mean, 50 or 60 years old, that's uh, an old tree. And especially... It's, <laughs> So, that's beautiful. Otherwise, yeah. this is the first year this has happened. Yeah. So, so <laughs> just kind of an- anticipate, you know, kind of aesthetic problems in the future. Okay. Thank you. Sure. And let's jump to Collinsville and go into Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Hello. Hi. Yeah. Um, I've got two questions. Uh, my uh, 
uh, ornamental uh, crab apple tree. It looks like it's got rust on it from what I could research on it. Is that going to ruin that tree or it can. what it do can I do really, to It can make it go it. downhill. So basically next year when the leaves are about halfway out, go to your favorite garden center, tell them you have a, you know, a, more or less a cedar apple rust. And then let them recommend what you know fungicide they'd recommend you know, spraying it. You're going to spray it once when the leaves are about half out. Then you're going to wait for two more weeks and spray it again, and then wait for two more weeks and then spray it again. Okay. And one question on and do that in the spring when the leaves are, are coming out. Okay. Exactly. Uh, I have a dogwood that I planted, and uh, I called you earlier about uh, it was budding in the spring, and then we got them cold snaps and it, it knocked them down and I was wondering if it was going to bloom again. Well, you said no and it didn't. But I've noticed it's really not growing up, but it's growing out. When can I trim that and well, darn that dogwood? Yeah, I would say leave it alone. So in other oh, words, you want but, as many leaves as you possibly can get on it for at least a couple of years so you can get the whole system, you know, get it well established before you start worrying about pruning things. Okay, because I mean, it's it's like it's got a crown in the middle, and then a flat spot just goes out with limbs all over. It's like it's not growing up, but it's growing out. Right. So I mean, the dogwood habit is generally more lateral rather than vertical. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good because where I got it, I don't want it to get real tall anyway. Good. So, perfect. Yeah. Okay. I was just wondering if. That foster something had something to do with the odd shape that it's got. No, basically not. Genetics. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Sure. Let's go over to Carol's yard. Hi, Carol. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have a question about, I have a Japanese maple in our front yard, and it usually has leaves all over it. This year, there's just, I would say, 25% of the branches have leaves on them. And last year, we had some nearby bushes torn out. We planted some new ones. Could that have affected it, the root system, so that it's it's no longer going to live? Or do you think it might come back maybe next year? But that doesn't sound good. I mean, if it's lost twenty, you know, thirty or seventy-five percent of its leaves, yeah, it looks terrible. Yeah, aesthetically, and then also the problem is those leaves make food to keep the tree healthy, root system-wise, stem-wise, everything. So uh-huh. if there's a lot less leaves, then the overall health is just gonna is gonna go down. Okay, so it'd probably be best just to take it out. Yeah, I mean, okay. Uh, I'm not saying it's a result of having other things taken out in close proximity, but it's something impacted it. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. That's why I, I was hoping maybe it might come back next year, but I don't really think it will. Yeah. I mean, you could wait till next year, wait till next spring and see what happens because, mm-hmm. and then wait till the following fall to, you know, to install it. But uh, it's really up to you, your kind of choice on how you want to sequence it. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Kathy lives in Holiday Shores. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Mike. Uh, First of all, I want to thank you for your wonderful service. I've learned so much from you through the years. Uh, What my problem is now, uh, I have wild strawberries in my grass. How can I get, yeah, they're uh, kind of prolific right now. How can I get rid of that? Basically a broadleaf weed killer. Uh, Can you tell me specifically? It doesn't, you know, any kind of like weed be gone, that type thing. Okay. 
All right, real good. Okay, well, thanks so much. And I appreciate next, it. You know, next year, I mean, right now you're seeing with the strawberries on it, but next year just watch right. and go after them when they're just first germinating. Early. Right. Sure, sure. Okay. All right, well, thanks so much. Sure, my pleasure. And I don't know, Ken, can you do it kind of quickly? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I've i got a, a dogwood in my front yard. It's pretty small. It was small when I planted it, and now I, it's getting a little too big, and I think I need to get it away from the house. Do I do that in the fall or in the spring? How big's the diameter of the trunk? Uh, it's probably two, maybe three inches. Woo. You're looking at a pretty heavy tree to be moving. So the root ball is going to have to be about uh, uh, maybe 18 to 24 inches across and about uh, 12 to 14 inches deep. And do it in this, basically coming out of wintertime, so sometime in early March, that's when I would do it. Okay. Thanks for your help. Sure. My pleasure. And, uh, yeah, that's going to be a very, very difficult thing to move. Yeah, that's a, The unfortunate thing is many times, you know, whether professionally or personally, we're planting plant material and not you know, sort of thinking about uh, mature size and proximity to the house and whatever it happens to be. So, uh, but... Again, it's, I mean, the sky is perfectly clear. They say pop-up storms maybe later on today. But again, if you haven't watered your lawn or anything else, make sure that you do some watering. And your other plant material as well. So like I said before, I want to remind everybody, my yard, the ironweed and the castor beans, they were so wilted yesterday during the heat of the day. I mean, they really look like, oh, my goodness gracious. And then I went out this morning, you know, as I was coming down here to KMOX, and everything was back, per- you know, perky and everything else. So just watch out when you see wilting. That doesn't necessarily mean it needs water. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.